Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hi there. It's uh, Wednesday, middle of the week. Welcome back. Welcome back. You made it. You made it through Monday and Tuesday. Hope you had a fun time this morning reading your Bible. Yep. Hey, I want to know where you guys are getting haircuts, man. Out of the frying pan into the fire. That's right. I want to know. Just tell me where you're getting haircuts. I could use a, a, you know what? There's a guy coming to Salina that I'm hoping does a good job. I I need a barber. Yeah? I need a barber. Yeah, there's a a place that's over by uh, that coffee shop that we've gone to a couple times. Oh, 1418. Yeah, the old timey barber. No, no. Other coffee shop. Oh, the one over by, uh, yeah, La Finca. There's a, a that's a Panda Express, bro. There's like Sorry. a hipster co- oh, barbershop over there. Yes, I've been there once. I have seen it. It uh, you won't be able to send your kids to college after you get your haircut there. I don't want, but that. they do a good job. I do not want that. My old barbershop haircuts fifteen bucks, man. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, well, and this is one of those places like you walk in to get your haircut, and they're like, "Hey, here, have free beer," and I'm like, "No, oh, but that man. doesn't. That, I don't need that. No yeah. thanks." Wow. So shoulder massage. Yeah. I mean, the Sports. guy did a good job, but yeah. Was it worth the money? It was. It's 50 bucks to get your hair cut there. 50 bucks. Oh, you go to a salon, bro. Right. And he's like finding, asking questions. He was like, oh, you've got four boys. You should bring them here. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not spending 200 bucks on haircuts for Could my kids. imagine? So I've been there once. I don't think I'll... I don't think I'll go back. You know, it's cost prohibitive. That's the thing. It really is. Give me back my old 15... The the haircut... Okay, this place that I went to, Twin Peaks and RSM, Rancho Santa Margarita. Yep. They were like nine bucks for years. It's a great deal. It was a huge deal. Yeah. And it was amazing. They did great cuts too. So now I'm looking for that and there's nothing here. So I think you and I... Let me pitch this to you. You and I. Pastor's Barbershop. No. Not feeling it? No. I feel like we could do it. No. Your boy gave my boy a haircut. I want to say I didn't notice, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed. Yeah. Brave of him. Although at this point, I might take one from my son too. I heard your wife uh, had him under the threat of, if you mess up his hair, then I'm going to buzz both of your heads. Oh, wow. She would too. She would. Oh, uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, let's talk Ezekiel 41. Okay. I don't know what Ezekiel's hair was like. I don't think he talks about it too much. He doesn't say anything about his hair. Yeah, no. That's that's a part I'd like to hear about. Yeah. Was he? Was it long? Was it short? Was he pulling it out? Was it bald? I don't know. In my mind's eye, I always imagine prophets having long hair, like yeah. long scraggly hair, you know, just one of those things. Unkempt. Not quite dreads, but yeah, unkempt. That, that whole, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Hey, well, we are in chapter 41, but before we dive in there, we thought it might be helpful to hit on uh, a measure uh, of measurement. Let's talk about cubits of measurement. Uh, Yeah, the cubit. Um, The cubit is, if you'll look in your study Bibles, a lot of times you'll see that it's a forearm length. It's it's the length from your elbow to the end of your fingertips. Whose forearm? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right? I mean, whose forearm are we measuring here? It's Bob's. And so then what you'll find in, in other places, well, it's it's a certain number of hand breadths, like the width of your hand from your, your thumb end to your pinky end. And then again, the question whose becomes hand? whose hand, right? Yeah. Well, there were at least three different types of cubits that were in uh, in practice and, and used during this time. There's a short cubit, medium cubit, and you guessed it, a long cubit. And those were classified by their different amounts of hand breadths. 
So when we read even all this talk to say, when we read here that Ezekiel's talking about these measurements by a cubit and a span, um, there, there's you're going to find different numbers out there in different commentaries based on which cubit they're adopting and embracing here to measure the, the temple by. And so even there, it's difficult for us to be sure and certain on these things. And you may say, well, how are they going to be certain about this when it comes to building this temple in the millennial kingdom? If we don't know what it is now, how are they going to ever know what it is then? Well, I think we we can trust that that God will ordain those things and that, that those things will be what they will be. And I think whatever decision is made is going to line up because that's just part of the way that God is sovereignly going to work his, his plan to, out to be. But if you're reading different commentaries out there, or different study Bibles, and you're seeing different numbers for the size of the temple, that's why. There's some question as far as what was the true measurement here of the cubit. Yeah, and that's important to know. Again, this is one of the the fascinations about reading ancient texts. This is why reading it is helpful and it's challenging in so many ways. But uh, just so you know, the cubit we're working with is the one that the ESV actually presents. It's the one that's 18 inches long, about 18 inches. Yep. There, I think they use meters and some of these uh, some of these notes here. But nevertheless, English. No, <laughs> I know it's complicated, man. We, we 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 we, and that's another thing. To your point. We live in a different time. We're 2023 right now as we record this in the year of our Lord. We talk about an inch, and an inch is the same everywhere. Right. You don't go anywhere in inches in an inch. It's it's different when you start looking at ancient people groups, which is who we have here. So uh, how do we know then how long this was? Well, people would decide. <laughs> they would decide on a number, and they'd say, this is the number that we're using. And they had, they had sophisticated methods of ensuring that everybody uses same measurement when they were building things. But when you're looking at blueprints— a little bit's left up to the imagination when it comes to, okay, well, how do we know what to do here? Um, that's, a, that's a bit left up to the contractors, whoever's running the running point on this. So all that to say, when you read, as I did, uh, commentaries or, or points about Ezekiel, and you see numbers like, man, this thing is 760 miles wide or whatever the number was that I read, uh, you might say, well, how, how do they get that number? Well, they're using a different measurement than, than what we're looking at here. So all that said, don't be alarmed. But do remember... Chapters 40 through 48 are some of the most challenging chapters interpretively in the Bible. They really are. Please show us grace and we'll show you grace. (laughs) Let's do this together. Right. And let's dive in. Right. And and it's not that they were less detailed. They were detailed, but I was having a conversation with somebody about the the time of day. Uh, And and we live in a, a, a time where the specificity as far as the hour of the day Down matters a, a lot more. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're all most likely you've got a, a timepiece on your wrist that is counting time. And that time it's, it's going to be precise. Yeah. Different time zones are going to have different times, but it's all going to relate to each other. It's the same, no matter where you are, it's all relating to the same general standard. Green, which mean time. Right. You go back to ancient Israel, you go back to first century Israel as John's writing or Mark's writing, and they're saying the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour. They didn't have watches on. They, they didn't have that attention to detail. They, they just had a, a window that, that they broke the day down into these three-hour increments, and they said it was somewhere within the third hour. It was somewhere within the ninth hour, somewhere within so forth and so on. And it's similar here, like you were saying. Everybody there building this, this edifice knew what the operative measurement was. They weren't going down to Home Depot and walking in going, okay, I need a board that's a foot and a half long. Mm-hmm. They didn't. That's not how it worked. They cut their own supplies. And as long as all of the craftsmen working in that general area were working under the same unit of measurement, it didn't matter what the, what the neighboring nation was using. And that's why some of these different, these measurements are so different is because there was no, I mean, we live in a culture that has, has shrunk 
the world in so many ways because of things like Amazon and, and international buying mm-hmm. and the internet and everything else. So that our units of measurement, though metric versus imperial, whatever, are, are going to be able to equate to the units of measurement somewhere else in the world. Egypt during this time could have had a totally different way of measuring things than Israel did. And it would have been okay as long as those individual groups abided by the same principles there. Right. So don't be too disturbed. Keep on reading. In fact, yeah. stretching in your reading is such a good thing for you. So stay at it. Yeah. Well, chapters 41 and 42, uh, they, they don't... 41 is interesting because here you have them constructing in this temple, the Holy of Holies. And uh, and that's that's interesting because you, you, again, have the situation where this is the the millennial kingdom. This is the the backside of the cross. Um, this is the fact. I mean, Christ is here. He's reigning. His throne is here. So, why the holy of holies? It's it's it begs that question. What is going on here? And um, again, as we've been saying just now, there is no nice, neat, compartmentalized answer other than you know. Again, this was uh, this temple. I believe was was there to and will be there to represent the idealized glory and holiness of God, and and that was part of it. Was this idea of the 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 holiness to be holy means to be separate, means to be removed, it means to be other than, and so I think this holy of holies in the temple is another reminder visual reminder to the people during the millennial kingdom that, hey, you know what? God is separate. God is distinct. God is other than. And the other thing to keep in mind here is there does need to be some separation still because during the millennial kingdom, there will still be sin on earth. People will still be sinning. Those that enter into the millennial kingdom, this is some some eschatology here, they will be those that, that are redeemed. They will either be the, the, the redeemed of Israel during the tribulation period, the, the sealed, or they will be tribulation saints, those that are believers that survive the tribulation period. They will be those that come in to populate the millennial kingdom at the very beginning. But that doesn't mean that that there is no more sin. There will still be sin. They're still going to repopulate the earth during that time. They're going to have more children during that time. And the sin nature will still be present during that time. And so there still is a, a need for there to be an otherness, a separateness between the ultimate holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. So one thing I would suggest you do, if you haven't done so already, is to simply Google Ezekiel's temple. Um, there is one graphic in particular that Faith Life Study Bible has put out by Logos, Logos Bible Software, where you'll get a chance to see, uh, and I think this is the most helpful graphic I've seen. I've looked at all of them. Um, not every single one, but I've looked I've at read many the of whole them. Bible. I've, I've read the whole all. Bible 13 times this week. Um, and I think the most helpful graphic I've come across is the one by Faith Life Study Bible. So it's going to give you a layout. You'll see the chambers, north, south, uh, north, south, and then east. West yep, doesn't have one. one. West is the uh, west has that strange box. Well, no, because the, the west doesn't have right. the chambers. Is what I'm saying. Right. Um, west has that strange box that we don't know what's inside. It's a, a building behind the temple that has no. There's there's no information about it except that it's there. So uh, anyway, all that to say, this is helpful. I, I as I'm reading through, as I as I've read through Ezekiel, I'll have this graphic open and I'm looking at it and I'm trying to compare my notes from what I'm reading in the Bible to an artist's rendition. And since I'm not an architecture, <laughs> I don't do that for a living. I don't understand some of these terms, right. which also encourages you. Uh, I would encourage you to have a, a different kind of Bible, so a CSB. Christian Standard Bible or an NLT, a New Living Translation, to, to read alongside so that you can have some of the updated language in addition to the image in front of you, which will be really helpful as you make your way through. Right. Right. These chambers, though, and these 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 other buildings there, 
excuse me, that you see in here. Um, some of them ceremonial, but some of them, the, the place where the priests and the Levites live, where they, they are going to reside during this time period and during the millennial kingdom. So um, 41, 42, laying out the, the construction of the Holy of Holies, the innermost part, as well as the rest of the inside of the, the interior of the temple there. And then the the chambers, the other buildings that are going to fill the rest of the temple grounds there. Yeah, and if, if you want to keep going, since you're going to be Googling already anyway, look up temple size comparisons. Um, temple size comparisons. And you'll get a chance to see the size of Ezekiel's temple in comparison to Solomon's temple and Herod's temple. It's about two and a half times as large as Herod's temple. It's about oh, 10 times, give or take, the size of a football field. But anyway, helpful. And that's again going to be in your Logos Bible software if you if you have that. Yep. Well, let's flip to our New Testament reading, 2 Peter 1. Sounds Second good. Peter 1. Let's do that. I'm there. Yeah. Now what? Awesome. What do you want me to do? <laughs> let's read it. Oh, let's, okay. uh, yeah, no, not, <laughs> not the whole thing, but, um, well, you should read the whole thing. We won't read the whole thing here, but, uh, man, Second I, I, Peter 1, 1, I, I just noticed this time reading through, his greeting here is pretty cool. To those who have, have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Wow, that's pretty cool. I wouldn't I mean, have said that. I would have flexed on him. Yeah, you've got. Well, yeah, because you've got Peter, right? <laughs> that's right, man. It's like, you, yeah, you've got good faith, but like, I'm Peter. That's like, right. Don't hey, forget on this on this rock, I'll build my, build my church. <laughs> <laughs> well, after coming off of First uh, Peter chapter five about being humble toward one another, it'd be really it'd be it'd be strange for him to be like, hey guys, it would be. Strange. It's me, Peter. Need I say more? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you remember back in chapter one of First Peter, we talked about the encouragement of the um, the eternal security of the believer. Here we get some more as far as how we can presently tap into that, and that's in Second Peter one, uh, verses three down through verse eleven. Section, this yeah, is such a good section. And, and it's it's startling if you're uh-huh. reading it at first because he says that we should supplement our faith. Do you hear my startle? Yeah, uh-huh. that was good. That was a good startle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, supplement your faith because you might be thinking, "Wait a minute, supplement my faith." That seems to imply that my faith is not Am enough. I adding to the my faith, right? Adding to my salvation, and, and the answer is no. And we've talked about this. We've talked about this in James, and we've talked about it in other places as well. We've talked about it in Philippians. We, this is that idea that our faith that saves is a faith that works. These things should be present, and so we're supplementing it in the sense that these are coming alongside of our faith. These things are, are, are supporting our faith. Uh, and these things that we see there are not unique to Peter. We've seen similar ideas all throughout the new Testament in these lists, these virtue lists. In fact, one of the things that Peter lists is virtue, but you've got knowledge, you've, you've got self-control, right? We've seen that with Paul's instructions to the old men and the younger, the, the older women in, uh, in Titus, there to be self-controlled and in, in, in part and teach self-control. So that's, uh, that's one of the fruit of the spirit as well. You've got steadfastness, faithfulness, godliness, uh, brotherly affection. Peter touched on that in first Peter one and love. And so if we see these things, as we've talked about so many times before on these inventory lists, these are the things that when we see them in our lives, and, and he makes the point, not just that they're there, but they're increasing. That's how we can have confidence in where we stand with Christ. That's where he, when he says, confirm your calling in election, how do we do that? We do that by holding our lives up to the scriptures to see if these things are there. I like verse eight, man. It keeps us from being ineffective or unfruitful in our knowledge, which is really kind of part of our job. We're trying to help you as a, as a Christian not to be ineffective or unfruitful in your Christian life. Lots of people have knowledge about God. The demons have knowledge. In mm. fact, they have quite good knowledge about God. And they God. fear. 
they fear and they tremble, and yet their response is not effective and fruitful faith. It's the opposite. We don't want that for you, but Peter's point here is that if you if you live and operate in, in these uh, in these virtues, you will not be ineffective and fruitful. I mean, who, who, who wants that kind of life? Who wants right. to have that on their tombstone? Right. Right. And so Peter says, so, hey, that's why I'm coming back to these things time and time again, because this is so important. We're going to remind you of these things. We're going to stir you up by way of reminder, verse 13. And, and this is his, his reasoning is he wants them to be confident and he wants them to be growing as believers. And that's such a good thing. A lot of times people ask us, hey, how can I be praying for you? Um, something that's been on my heart recently is just, man, pray that that I would grow in sanctification, right? Like that's that's something that I think all of us can can pray for and just pray that God will increasingly make us more like Jesus on a regular basis. And it, it's, it's these things that we'll see more of in our lives. It's such a good prayer to pray for ourselves. It's a good prayer to pray for one another because as we grow in sanctification, one of the byproducts of that is this assurance that we are secure in Christ. And that's what Peter's offering there. That's right. One quick note here, as you read through second Peter, you might find it to be different than stylistically different than what you read in first Peter. And there's a, there's a good and easy reason uh, for that. And, and it's that in first Peter, you might notice that when Paul signs off in the very Peter rather signs off at the very end of his letter, he says in verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, mm. which is his, uh, his amanuensis. So Peter wrote first Peter through the amanuensis help of Silvanus, also called Silas on occasion. Um, Second Peter doesn't seem to have that same that same effect. So if you read through the book of Second Peter or the letter of Second Peter, you're not going to find any other names except for his own. And therefore, some of the reasons you might notice stylistic differences is because this one's straight from Peter, where the other one had some help from his friend. And somebody might say, well, then how do we know this was not a pseudepigrapher, somebody that's writing under the false name of Peter? Well, look at what he says there in verse 16 in chapter 1. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice, for we were with him on the holy mountain. That is a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter was one of the ones that was up there with him, and so he's attesting to that, saying, I was there, I was one of the eyewitnesses of that. But then notice verse 19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day draws near and the morning star arises in your hearts. How, how cool is that? Peter's saying, I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration and yet, man, we've got the prophetic word more fully confirmed for us that we can give our hearts to and give our attention to and give our, our study to until the day draws near. Like, In what sense does he mean that more fully confirmed? In the sense that... The, the completion of the canon, the rest of the story, we, we now understand that the, the completion of, of the, the Old Testament prophecies about Christ, we understand fully you know, the, who Isaiah 53 was talking about. We understand what he came to do. And, and Peter's saying we, we've got that fuller understanding, that fuller knowledge than he had there, even though he saw Christ in his full glory there on the Mount of Transfiguration. So comparatively speaking, Peter's essentially saying it's better to have the Word of God than to have a vision of Christ revealed on the mountain. Right. That's what you understand. There's there's a, there's another interpretation of this, and I don't think this one is the right one. I think the one that you just got presented is the one I would encourage you to 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 understand and to believe. Uh, there's another one that would say, oh, okay, what Peter means by this is after seeing the revelation of Christ on the mountain, now, because of that, that has more fully confirmed the prophetic word because it has shown the validity of the word of God. It is demonstrated by the fulfillment of prophecy. you got the Son of Man, Daniel 7, who's being exposed here. He's being highlighted, exalted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I think more naturally, it seems, to, it seems to suggest here that Peter is saying, look, the word of God is even more uh, 
more better. <laughs> it's more gooder it's than seeing a vision of Christ on the mountain because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any twitched sword. It is more powerful. And then he goes on to comment about the word of God. So again, looking at the internal consistency of what he's saying and the larger scope of scripture, I think you're in sure footing to believe that Peter is saying the word of God is more, it is better than a vision of God. Right. And what he does go on to say about that is that the word of God is not just somebody sitting down going, yeah, I'm going to write about this. But it is men writing under the guidance and and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's the idea of inspiration there. That's the doctrine of inspiration, that these men were not writing their own words, but they were writing as the Spirit was leading them and guiding them. That's right. So 2 Peter chapter 1, encouraging chapter, super encouraging chapter. Yes. And uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll cover that tomorrow. Different tone. Let's cross that bridge when we get there. We'll hit it tomorrow. Hey, so join us then, and we will catch you guys for another episode. See you then. Peace. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm -hmm.